This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome to Jumping Bomb Audio. Welcome back to Jumping Bomb Audio, a podcast all about Joshu Pro Wrestling. I'm Aaron. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Taylor. What's up, Taylor? Hi. I can officially say at this time, happy one-year anniversary uh, of the show. We started one year ago covering Stardom's No People Gate, and here we are a year later covering another big uh, Stardom show for the podcast. Uh, If I could sing, I would do the happy anniversary, baby. So, what? <laughs> I don't know. Happy no. anniversary, baby. I don't know. No? I don't know that song. Okay, I think it's a real song. But you said you couldn't sing. But you, that was pretty good. Uh, well, that was just me fucking around. Um, <laughs> Little River Band, Happy Anniversary. Oh, Little River. I do know the Little River Band, but I I don't know that song. Okay, uh, so. While we're talking about music, I know this is a podcast all about Joshi Pro Wrestling, but I have to say, uh, listeners may not know this. I've been going through the Rolling Stone top 500 albums of all time list, trying to give myself some uh, additional musical literacy. And Taylor, you know a lot about music. You've listened to a lot of music in your day. Uh, Yeah, I have. It was, well, it's funny because I, growing up, uh, I was a big theater fan. And so theater... Uh, sort of like musicals was it was largely like musicals and then just like whatever was on the radio at the time so I have a very good knowledge of like 90s uh, like pop rock whatever you would call it but then in college when I got to college I sort of expanded my horizons I actually took um, two music classes one about Jimi Hendrix and one about Bob Dylan in college um And from there, I sort of was like, wow, there's a lot of music I've missed. So I sort of did what you are doing now with these, you know, top 500 sort of on my own being like, okay, you know, from Bob Dylan, where do I go? You know, you go to like the birds, you go to, you know, Crosby, Sills, Nash and Young or whatever. And so I listened to a lot of these things as sort of extensions of like, oh, I like this music. I should learn more about you know, like the music of the sixties or then getting into like, you know, who is influenced by Jimi Hendrix and going into like the seventies and then the eighties and things like that. So I feel like I did what you're doing now, trying to increase my musical literacy, but I did it back in college. Whereas you're doing it now with this sort of organized list, I sort of did it as a, you know, Oh, let's just see what's out there. And of course, then you meet new people in college and they're like, hey, I like this music. Um, And they sort of play it for you. And that's how I got into a lot of, you know, like 90s hip hop kind of stuff, because one of my best friends in college was really into that um, and things like that. But yes, it's something I sort of, uh, you know, I like 
it feels good. And I'm sure you agree, Aaron, to be like, oh, I'm learning a lot about this. And now I have the knowledge of all these different things and not just sort of like the small circle of things that I really love. Absolutely. I've loved like getting to know, I mean, even artists that like, obviously I knew a lot about, or as far as like, I was aware of their cultural importance or whatever, but I just not really sat down and listened to their albums. And it's been very rewarding. Like, for example, could not have predicted how much I would love Aretha Franklin. <laughs> like every time an Aretha Franklin album pops up on this list, it is so good. It like blows me away. So not not what I would have predicted coming into listening to the list. Yes, and you have you've been keeping me updated and there have been some things we agree on and also some things we disagree on. So that's, you know. Yeah. Part, I, of, I ha- part of the fun of music though is, you know, not everyone has the same exact taste, so. That's true. It's very subjective. Uh but I, you know, when I was in college, I was really into like uh punk and hardcore, metalcore and emo and like I was really so it's like there's this whole world of bands that I've probably listened to that most people uh, will never for any reason have to listen to in their life. Um, And I, but as far as like going way back into time, the only genre I'd really done that with was like classic country. I know a lot about country music. Gotten into it on probably. Um, And I don't know, just the stuff I was into was, was mostly modern. You know, I was into hip hop, but it's like most of like the really like good hip hop probably only goes back to the nineties. I know a lot of people will be mad at me for saying that there's a lot. I've discovered some very good eighties hip hop. while listening to this list, but I didn't listen to a lot of it before. So anyway, yes, it's been fun. Uh, I've had a great time. I'm now I'm reading a book now about uh, Fleetwood Mac. (laughs) Oh, interesting. I have a Fleetwood Mac book and I've never, um, I've never read it, although it, it was given to me by as for a present, but it's like a used library uh, book. So it that has the, the Dewey Decimal label on the on the end of it. But I've never got- I listened to the album and started like uh, reading things. But of course, there's like a lot of interpersonal drama between the members uh, while they're making this album. But you get like very nerdy stuff about how they actually made the album, how they recorded things and. I really like that. That's very uh, interesting to me personally. Yeah. I mean, music is a fascinating thing. I've, you know, I'm always just amazed that, you know, there's all these people who can sort of make music. I could never, I could never imagine writing really one song, much less an entire album of music. So it always amazes me because I'm like, you know, and you talk about people like Prince who were like for five years, he was writing one song a day. And it's like, how do you even how do you even do that? Uh, yes, I've, I mean, I am. I have been in bands and I do write songs on my own time, but I mostly keep them to myself. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's like I've written in my life like two or three songs that I think are are very good. And then I listen to artists or bands that I like, and it's like the worst song they have outpaces by far anything i've ever written and it just like blows my mind (laughs) you know Uh, i was listening to uh, this i mean i did listen to this on the list but i was listening to thriller uh yesterday and of course it goes thriller beat it billy jean you know three songs in a row and it's like 
I would have just saved some of those for the next album, I think. You know, it's like, okay, I've already written enough good songs for this one. Well, yeah, and I think there's, what, like nine songs on that album, and I think eight of them were like top 10 hits or something like that, where it was like almost every song, it was like, here's a single, and people were like, this is great. Yeah, it's like, want to be starting something is the first song, The Girl Is Mine is on there. Uh, Yeah, it's an insane album. It's so good. Uh, it certainly blows my mind that somebody was able to write all those songs for one album. Uh, yeah, I think Sarah and I were listening to it yesterday, and I was like, if a person wrote the, those three songs in their career, they would have been legendary. And this guy put them on one album. <laughs> you know, it's like, hmm, what a guy. Anyway, there you go. That's the music interlude uh, for this episode of Jumping Bomb Audio. Uh, we don't talk much about music on our Twitter, but you can find it at JBomb Audio. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Taylor's at Tay Mambo. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you get these as soon as they come out every other Monday. Uh, give us a five star rating and a review if you use the Apple Podcast app. We would greatly appreciate it. Uh, you can donate to the show at redcircle.com/show/jumping-bomb-audio. And of course, we want to uh, remind everyone if you haven't already seen it on our Twitter that Taylor and I were guests on the Eastern Lariat podcast uh, with Dylan Sky, And I said that funny, but I just think that's a cool name. And um, we did a, a bracket. Like it's a, the gimmick for the uh, month of March over on Eastern Lariat is that they do March madness brackets with 68 uh, people in, in different types of wrestling. So of course we were on the Joshi one and we went through every matchup and the idea was basically like their last 12 months like who had the better last 12 months uh we went very in depth on everyone i thought it was a good look back at uh, 12 months in joshi yeah and i was i didn't say this on the podcast but i was i was thinking it uh aaron for you and i it may be the only uh opportunity we have this year to have any uh, personal investment in a, a March Madness bracket. Uh, the way our two teams, our two uh, NCAA teams are playing, it doesn't appear that either of them uh, will be in the uh, real March Madness tournament. So happy to do it there uh, instead of instead of the basketball version. Yes, it seems very unlikely uh, that my team will be, and that has led to me led me to not paying very much attention. So I don't. Does your team have to win the the Big Ten tur- Big Ten tournament to uh, make it? Yes, essentially they were doing pretty well, and they've lost five in a row and essentially played themselves out of the tournament. Uh, so now it would appear it. it would appear that they need to run the table and uh, win the Big Ten tournament to have a chance. It would it would appear to me. I think they're twelve and fourteen now. So. Um, not looking good. Would love to be 12 and 14, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Would love to have that record. Uh, has it worked out for my, for my cats? If anybody uh, listening doesn't know, I'm a, obviously I'm a Kentucky basketball fan. So yes. And we're, we're rivals. Although this year it's sort of very boring because Indiana is bad and Kentucky is not very good either. So bad uh, is a fine descriptor. Taylor. Yeah. We're very bad, <laughs> very bad. Uh, but also I, I just learned yesterday that Duke will also probably not be making the tournament. So at least I have something to be happy about this basketball season. Okay. We're going to do a show about Joshi. Uh, here's what we're going to talk about. The Stardom Budokan show, of course. We're going to go in depth on that show. 
Uh, they just had a quirk, and we'll talk about that. We'll talk about Assemble, Seedling, Tokyo Joshi Pro. Uh, there's been some news. We're going to talk about the uh, Hanukkah Memorial Show and, yeah, a bunch of stuff. But let's kick it off with, I think, the big show that – not the big show. That's my other podcast where we talk about the big show. Uh, but we'll talk about the big Joshi show that happened recently, which was uh, Stardom at Nippon Budokan on March 3rd. Let's just start with your uh, overall thoughts, Taylor, on the show. Um, so I thought it was a, a strong show. Um, I sort of had some things that I really love, some things that I sort of fell in the middle on, and there were just a small handful of things that I didn't like. Um, some of which will probably be pretty obvious to anyone who watched the show because they were sort of universally um, panned. You know, I was happy to see that they drew 3,300, you know, 3,318, I think is the official number. Um, and, you know, there are certain things that were certainly out of the control of stardom that I think sort of hurt um, the show a little bit for me. Uh, one of those, of course, being... Uh, the sort of clap crowd, which we haven't really talked about a lot on the show. We've sort of lived in this year of our podcast only in the world of these clap crowds or no crowds even. Um, but it is a thing where I think I've finally, I'm finally reaching the point I've done very well where these clap crowds are really starting to hurt the shows, even in this case where it was, I think, a very strong show. You know, you just want to hear people yelling, cheering, things like that, you know, for um, when Ryu Mizunami uh, won the um, final of the AEW Women's Tournament. I went back and actually Wave had uploaded um, Mizunami and Hikaru Shida's last singles match in the promotion. It was their last singles match they had together, uh, which was back in 2019. And I was like, oh, let me watch this. Uh, see what it was like. I don't remember if I had watched it at the time. Um, didn't really have any memory of it, but I turned it on. And the first thing I thought was, whoa, this crowd is hot. It's a hot, 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 hot crowd. And I was looking it up. I looked on cage match. It was only 630 people at Corkin. So it wasn't like they were in some huge building or they sold out Corkin. But I think it's just, we've become so used to these sort of very quiet, you know, a move happens. Oh, clap, clap, clap. And then there's sort of this silence until something else happens that I was like, whoa, this feels really big. This feels really important. Um, but obviously that's sort of out of the control of stardom. It is what it is. Uh, the curfew, the same thing. I did feel like the whole show a little bit. I wasn't upset that, you know, there were a lot of short matches, but it did feel occasionally that there was some sense of rush to the show where they realized, okay, we have to get this stuff in before the eight o'clock curfew. And so I think some things that probably could have used a little bit more time to breathe were not given that opportunity, uh, which is sort of a bummer, but again, sort of outside of the control of stardom, they, you know, had to follow the rules to follow the law. And then the other thing was, you know, the attendance was great, but I was a bit confused, you know, the first shot of the show, at least, I, you know, I watched it on Samurai. I don't know if this was the case um, on the pay-per-view. But the sort of first shot of the show was all the lights on, the announcers, 
you know, ring announcers in the ring. You see some people on the floor and all the sections behind the ring announcer that the hard camera was facing were completely and totally empty. And to me, that was the first shot of the show. And I remember seeing it and going, oh, my God, did they only draw like 300 people to this show? And then, of course, they went to a different camera view and there were people on the second and third level. But I was a bit confused that they, you know, you would think when you put the tickets on sale, you would want to put people opposite the hard camera to make it look that's going to be the shot you go to most. Um, and I would have figured they would have put some people on that side. Now they turned the lights off once the show proper started. Um, but it was a little bit shocking. But again, overall, uh, very strong thoughts. Some matches I really, really enjoyed. Um, what about you, Aaron? What'd you think? Yeah, I think you covered it pretty well. Although I don't, the crowd didn't bother me terribly in this. I thought, I mean, there were moments where it was like, almost unbearably quiet i uh, think about there was a a spot in the in the main event where tom and julia were just slapping each other and it was insanely quiet as they were slapping each other uh but overall i thought the crowd did a pretty good job of, of being loud you know at least clapping regularly um i do agree that i thought the placement of the fans was very weird uh, i feel like i would have put more people on the hard cam side, as you said. And I understand that they apparently charged a lot for those ringside seats. Uh, but I also might have, you know, moved some people down uh, just to make it look a little more full uh, uh, in certain shots. Of course, once they got past the pre-show or the, the prologue matches and it got a little darker, you know, you couldn't tell as much. But of course, they sometimes they would bring the lights back up in between the matches. So yeah, just for just for aesthetic purposes, I probably would have, done that a little differently or frankly i mean i am who i am but i would have just papered the rest of the crowd to be honest <laughs> um even if i couldn't sell the tickets i would put people in, put people in there but obviously now okay so there was the comparison of the big noah show the new japan show and the stardom show that all happened in the same building stardom comes in second of those three shows uh, attendance wise of course new japan was running uh, El Desperado in the main event, as far as as far as I know, uh, and Stardom was running like this huge show with all their big matches. So, uh, still, I think it was a basically. I think it was a, a good, if not great, uh, result as far as uh, attendances go. But as far as the show itself, it was a thing for me where my expectations for the match mattered a lot. Uh, the matches that I had low or no expectations for all. Uh, exceeded those expectations and the matches that I had very high expectations for often failed to meet those expectations or just, you know, barely exceeded them. So, you know, that may have been more of a, a me and my expectations thing than the show itself. I appreciated that no match overstayed its welcome. I talk about that a lot on the show of, you know, I think matches should happen and uh, you should be able to do them in a, in a more concise way than a lot of companies seem to do. And I thought they did a great job with that on here. The show moved along uh, very well. All the results, I think, probably went the right way. So overall, I think it was a really good show. I just, well, we'll talk about the main event. Obviously, that's going to be the most important of any show. 
And uh, there was, I just had a little bit of issues with the main event. So that probably colored my view of the show. Um, but overall, uh, a, a very good show, I would easily say. Let's let's start with the main event, Taylor. I think oh, okay. I want to start there and then go back to the beginning of the show and, and go through the rest of the show. Uh, just because, you know, this is the big point in the show. We've we went on about music for 10 minutes, so people are probably ready to hear us talk about something <laughs> uh, noteworthy. So in the main event at uh, the Budokan, the World of Stardom title, hair versus hair match, as Taylor talked me into, Tom Nakano defeats Julia uh, and wins the white belt. And Julia has to uh, have her head shaved at the end of the show. So uh, I guess you weren't surprised at the ending because that was your expectation. But what did you think of the match? Uh, so I liked the match. You know, it started with, um, I think they sort of got put behind the eight ball by the fact that they had the video package before the match began. And they show that Dump Matsumoto, uh, Chigusa Nagayo um, match with the audience like screaming, you know, people crying in the audience, yelling, they're fighting, there's blood all over the place. And to me, it sort of set up this idea of, oh, this match is sort of going to be like that. Not from the audience perspective, obviously, because the audience, you know, is under these restrictions, but that they're going to come out and they're going to bloody each other and it's going to be very violent. And, you know, they get in the ring, they do the introductions, the match begins and like the first move of the match is a side headlock. And I was like, Oh no, I was like, Oh no, this is, I was like, this is not what I was hoping it was. Cause the thing that sort of always drives me crazy and not just, you know, this match, but any match that, you know, you come in and you say, we're two people, we hate each other. You know, this match has big stakes and we're going to prove to each other that, you know, we're going to beat each other up. And, you know, you start with sort of this traditional wrestling opening, um, which always sort of drives me crazy because I'm like, you hate each other. You should be going, you know, slaps, punches, kicks, things like that. Not, you know, side headlock, reversal, you know, arm ringers, things like that. So at first I was a little bit nervous. I was like, oh, gosh, where is this going to go? Then they had the sequence where they got out of the ring. Um, they did that table spot with Julia doing the pile driver through the table. And I think from there, um, from that moment, I don't remember exactly how far in that was, but I think from there, the match was very, very strong. You know, you had the sequence, they got back in the ring, as you mentioned, you know, slapping each other in the middle of the ring, um, that spike, um, I think it's called a violent spike or something that Tom gave to Julia where she just dropped her straight down. I was like, wow, this is all really, really good. So by the end, I was I was really into it. Um, I saw some people afterwards talking about, oh, it's match of the you know match of the year contender. One you know a great match, five stars. I wasn't quite there. I think that that second half of the match really brought it up. I was um, at four and a half stars. Um, so I liked it. It didn't quite, as you mentioned, Aaron. You know, you had the expectation. I had the expectation going in that it was going to be very. You know, it was going to be super, you know, maybe not bloody, but, you know, very sort of what they did in the second half of the match for the entire match, which uh, didn't quite come through. 
But, you know, I thought the second half was good. I thought the sort of end um, of the match or the post-match, I should say, uh, also hurt it a little bit because there was a lot of sort of sort of indecisive standing around. It was like, okay, Julia loses, and you would think they would have the sequence there where they, you know, shave her, but they were running out of time with the curfew. So they sort of took only a little bit of her hair off, and she ended up, a lot of people were like, oh, she actually looks better than she did before. So it was that weird. I would have liked to have that definitive moment of Tom, you know, shaving it, holding up the hair or whatever, which I feel like we didn't get, which sort of in the end was like, well, well, that isn't great. But overall, I thought the match was really strong. I mean, I've liked all of their matches um, together, as we've talked about on the show. Um so didn't quite get to this, the status I was hoping it would get to, but still a very, very strong match. Yeah, that's my main criticism of the match is that a hair versus hair match is supposed to, you know, I think back to that uh, Nanai versus Arisa hair versus hair match, right? And that felt much more hateful, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or like trying to prove a point. Um and, you know, the, the story here is that, like, Tom keeps coming up short and Julia is like, okay, fine, I'll let you have another shot, but I'm going to shave your fucking head when I beat you again. And instead, Tom flips that on its head. Bad analogy or bad uh, <laughs> saying pun. there to use. Yeah. Yes, bad pun. Uh, but Tom flips that and beats her. And that should have. And I get, you know, that Tom isn't really like a vengeful character but she certainly has been you know it's been impassioned she has been impassioned during this feud with julia i think you know they've really gone at each other so it wouldn't have and the as you said you know the second half of the match or so was pretty violent as far as you know i mean that the pile driver through the table i thought was great that was a great spot the slaps uh but even in that you see like Julia puts her hands behind her back, like, go ahead, you know, just like slap me. And then Julia gets her turn and just, I thought it was much more vicious, you know, just really uh, hit Tom pretty hard. Uh, and so, yeah, I felt like it was just getting to be like really good. It, you know, I know what I said earlier and what I've said on this show a hundred times, but this match I thought could have used 10 more minutes to like keep building uh, or, you know, maybe, maybe seven more minutes just to keep building where they had gone over the last uh, stretch. And uh, I thought it would have been even better. But yeah, but my I was overjoyed that Tom won. I thought that was the right finish. You know, that makes the point for the story. I just thought they were a little lighthearted about the whole thing after the match in a way that kind of brought it down a little for me. Of course, I haven't been able to watch the, the version that's up on Stardom World now with the uh, translated promo after the match. So I don't know exactly what all they said. But it felt a little lighthearted. Uh, yeah, I was disappointed that Tom didn't shave her head. I thought she should. You know, that's kind of the point of these matches. Uh, she had overcome, and that was uh, what she, what her reward was. So that was a little disappointing for me. But I don't want to be too down on the match itself because I thought the match was quite good. Uh, it's just overall, it left me uh, left me a little wanting of what I was looking for going into the match. 
Yeah, I think we both had sort of big expectations, and those expectations were not quite met, but still a very good match. I mean, I think the other thing, and we're sort of starting at the end here, so um, it's a little bit weird, but, you know, we talked about when we previewed the show that it, you know, the show finishes with five singles matches, and every every match of the five had the same exact sequence where the two competitors would stand in the middle of the ring and do the sort of forearm exchange, slap exchange in all five of these matches that happened, um, or at least four of the five. And I think that did hurt it a little where, you know, by the time we got to the top matches, where preferably you would want to leave the most spots for them to do to really make it huge, it was like, okay, you know, this is sort of a vicious slap sequence, but we've seen this already in the previous match. You know, we've seen the forearms, you know, we've seen the, okay, I'm going to stand and I'll let you hit me. And I've talked about it on the show before. I think that that has in some ways for a lot of people become a crutch where it's like, well, we need something to fill this time in the match. So let's just stand in the middle and trade forearms. Cause you know, it sort of slows the match down and, and, you know, gives us time to sort of, you know, we can stand here. We're not running around. We're not doing all these crazy things. Um, so I think that hurt. I think probably a tag match in the middle of, you know, these matches or some sort of multi-person match probably would have helped break it up a little. Um, so that did hurt. Obviously, not really Tom and Julia's fault because they were last. And so, of course, you know, they have to contend with what everyone before them did. Uh, but that was another point. But again, as Aaron said, you know, we don't want to pile on too much because, as I said, I thought it was four and a half stars. So I thought it was still a really great match, um, but just not quite up to the expectations I had for it going in. I will say they saved that like when they started when they went to the outside to do that whole sequence, that felt fresh. I was like, oh, good. This is like different from what we've been seeing in the rest of these singles matches. Because even, which we'll talk about the, the Shuri-Konami match, but even in that match, they like made a point out of not doing that, you know? So I, I felt like at least that was good that they saved that point uh, for uh, this big hair versus hair match. Okay, well, I'm sorry, Taylor, that you thought it was weird, but I did want to start with the main event. <laughs> How That's, dare you? How dare you make me talk about the main event first? I know. Well, it's, you know, the most newsworthy portion, I thought. Uh, but let's we're going to jump back in time to the beginning of the show uh, with the, the prologue matches, starting off with the high speed title match with Natsupoi defeating Azumi to win the high speed title. Uh, I thought this was great. I thought it was, you know, very similar to the Azumi uh, Starlight Kid match at uh, Yokohama Budokan that started that show, you know, very quick paced. Didn't overstay its welcome. You know, I think that they should start all their big shows with these high-speed titles and just say, you know, you've got seven, eight minutes. Go out there, go fast, do your moves, and then get out of here, you know, get the crowd sort of going. So I thought this was really great. I went four stars. Um, just thought it was a fun match and a really strong way to open the show. Yeah, exactly. It was just a good opener. Glad to see Natspoi get something to do like this feels like a step for her uh that's good with Azumi losing i kind of just hope it's a way to let her move on to bigger things perhaps uh that's what i would like to see for Azumi. um but you know i have no idea obviously what they're going to do with her but 
Uh, overall, just like a really good way to start the show. One thing that disappointed me, Taylor, uh, and maybe you have more insight into this, but uh, now I think during the later matches, Natsuki Tayo was at ringside. You agree with me on that? Um, Either I during don't the... know. I didn't. I didn't see her, but I wasn't really looking all that closely as to who. Um, I. Th- think she might have been because i know the rest of the seedling people were there so i don't know why she wouldn't have been there yeah well i i think she was there I, i'm pretty sure i recall seeing her during the bayou yoshiko match and so i was just disappointed that she wasn't um in the rumble or i thought she could have refereed this match that would have been great but uh no natsuki tayo on the show yeah and maybe that was her decision you know maybe she said no thanks. Maybe they asked her. I don't, you know, I don't know. You would have figured they probably might have asked her considering they had other seedling people on the show, but you know, maybe not. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Uh, and then now this is a match that exceeded all my expectations. The goddesses of stardom title match, uh, Himika and Micah defeating the Oedotai team of Natsuko Tora and Saki Kashima. Micah pinned Saki with a Michinoku driver, which the commentary was very excited about. Um, I don't know. I thought Natsuko especially, but Saki also seemed more motivated than usual. Uh, It honestly made me worried they were going to win. They looked like they were so interested in the match. I was like, oh, they're winning the titles. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, I don't know. I thought this was quite good for what I went into it expecting. Uh, I thought it was fine. I was glad to sort of see an Oedo tie match that didn't devolve into the usual sort of shenanigans that it always does. Um, and a, and another short match. So it was, you know, sort of difficult for me to, you know, get all that invested. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I think I thought it was, you know, fine, as I said. Um, and I hope going forward that we see more of this Oedo tie. Um sort of the keep it in the ring, you know, lower the interference stuff. Uh, but we will see if this was sort of a one-time thing for the big show, or if this is going to be a pattern uh, moving forward. And then we moved on to the actual start of the show. Well, you know, something we haven't talked about Taylor is the, the, the set or like how it looked in there. What did you think about it? I was a little bit, I don't know if I was, if I'm conditioned to like Budokan or like Noah Budokan with the sort of raised stage, I thought it was a fairly sort of straightforward set. Uh, It felt a little to me like a new Japan sort of B or C show set. Um, I was, I was hoping um, that they might go a little bit more out with, you know, the entrances and things like that, but it was sort of a traditional, uh, show I did like the sort of all the entrance, uh, all the unit entrant curtains um, on the stage. But you know, I was just sort of like, okay, they didn't really do much. It's just sort of their traditional um, entryway. Oh, I liked it. <laughs> all right, I thought it was more than what they when than what they usually do. What Stardom usually does. So I don't know. It's it was, like, oh, but this is nice. But with, I think with all of these, when it's like, this is the biggest show we've ever done, 
my expectation is always, okay, it's going to be, you know, the entrances are going to be all out. They're going to do all of this, but it could be another thing where they didn't want these big grand entrances. Cause that's taking away from in ring time when they're already under a time crunch. That certainly right. could be the case. Uh, maybe they were like, well, we'll just, you know, do your normal entrances and then you'll have more time um, in the ring. All right. Well, next up was the all-star rumble. And at least in a surprise to me, uh, Unagi Sayaka is your winner. I thought I was going to be proven right. She eliminated uh, Yusuke Aikawa to win uh, the match. Uh, but I guess there's a lot to talk about here. So overall, what did you think about the match and what were some of your, your favorite moments? I enjoyed it, and I think I enjoyed it more than a lot of other people who I've seen. You know, this has sort of been the the one sort of panned match of the show. I liked it. You know, it was clearly uh, a little bit rushed. You know, there were times when they sort of introduced someone, the camera would go on them, they'd walk to the ring, and then all of a sudden, you know, they were going three, two, one, and the next person was coming out, especially in the beginning. I was like, whoa, there's a lot of people in the ring. People are coming in very fast. Uh, not really sure what's going on. But, you know, overall, it's just, you know, sort of a fun match. I really enjoyed seeing, you know, all the different sort of types of talent, the old stardom talent coming back, um, the marvelous talent, the, you know, seeing Emi Sakura who came out, I thought who had a great entrance with all the Gato Move um, wrestlers, uh, was not so happy. Um, to put it lightly, to see Kikutaro, who I actually like, but I thought was actively uh, detrimental to this match uh, and made it worse, and was probably the worst thing on worst thing on the entire show. Uh, to me, I don't really have any uh, patience, and this applies to really every promotion. I don't really have much patience for like sexual assault uh, gimmicks or moments. Um, if you've ever heard me talk about, uh, DDT and Don Shugudino, I'm the same there. So to me, I felt like it really sort of derailed this sort of fun momentum they had with these interesting, you know, showdowns with, uh, Nagayo in there and, you know, Saida and different people, you know, once he was sort of out, I thought it got a lot better as well. I really liked the, the final three, the finishing, um, sort of segments. I really liked the exchanges uh, with Yusuke Aikawa and Mina Shirakawa. I thought those were really good. And I did think it was a surprising uh, result as well. You know, I don't know if they're going to do anything with this victory. Uh, I was a little bit bummed because I thought if Yusuke Aikawa won, it might be a sign that she was going to uh, appear again. But now that she's lost, maybe that's uh, not happening. But overall, I thought it was a lot of fun. You know, it's not something to be taken too seriously, um, but just good seeing a lot of wrestlers that I like and a lot of wrestlers I haven't been able to see in quite a while. So I watched this not live, and it took me like two days to finish it. So I was staying away from Twitter and everything. So I have not seen a lot of reactions to the show, just like a handful. And I'm stunned to hear that a lot of people didn't like this match. I thought it was like an outrageous amount of fun. Like I really enjoyed it. Um, now, yes, I couldn't agree more with everything you said about the Kikutaro part. 
Uh, I thought it was funny when he was in that, like when he came out, I was like, oh, this is bizarre. But yeah, it quickly got uh, very gross and not something I was interested in. But I just, I don't know. I had a, a grand time watching this. Uh, I I liked that it was rushed because it didn't like take too much time. You know, it's like, okay. I mean, the best part of, you know, a rumble like this is the entrance, right? Is like the next person waiting for the next person to come out. <laughs> the, a rumble is about the entrances and then the finish of the match. Uh, and like a few little fun spots in the middle. And we got all that. We got like cool, like, ooh, you know, the next person coming out was exciting. As you said, Emmy had the very cool entrance. Uh, and then you had lots of fun little things, you know, from the beginning. The thing with Ida chopping everybody, but she wouldn't chop uh, the stars members. Uh, the uh, There was fun stuff with Chigusa Nagayo that I enjoyed. Uh, I enjoyed that Taylor predicted that B Priestley would win and she got eliminated in five seconds. <laughs> that was fun for me. Uh, <laughs> and then, yeah, Yusuke Aikoa was great. I mean, looked excellent. And then I uh, came down. It was funny because when she came out, I was like, oh, she kind of looks like she's in uh, the Cosmic Angels. Like she kind of looked like she matched them. And then it came down to all of them. And I was like, oh, maybe like, she is going to win and then she's going to be like part of cosmic angels for like a short little run. That's kind of what I was hoping. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Uh, Unagi wins. So I don't know, maybe it's less likely. I know Aiko was still saying it was a one night only thing, but man, she seemed to have worked so hard to come back for, uh, for just this rumble match. Uh, she's obviously in great shape. She looked better than a lot of, uh, a lot of the people in the match as far as like from a, uh, what she could do athletically perspective. Uh, she had that great, as you said, the exchanges with Mina Shirakawa. Uh, so I don't know. I thought it was a blast. Yeah. You know, the, the match, it wasn't totally buried, but a lot of people were like, you know, Oh, it was, you know, rush, you know, blah, blah, blah. I think like Meltzer, when he rated the show, I think gave it like one star or something. Um, but yeah, I, w I was with you. I really enjoyed it. I thought Momoe Nakanishi looked really good. She was very funny for a lot of the match. And then late in the match sort of pulled out a lot of very impressive stuff. So I was like, whoa, I, I would love to see more of her um, in stardom. You know, always happy to see Mima Shimoda, um, who I love. Uh, so yeah, overall, it was, a, it was a good, you know, quote unquote, start to the show for me, certainly high energy, not wasting a lot of time uh, seeing all these people. And then we got into all the uh, singles matches uh, at the top of the card, and it kicked off with uh, Nanae Takahashi defeating Momo Watanabe in a, a match that really probably is the, the standard bear for what I was saying earlier about my expectations, which is, you know, I wanted this to be uh, a five-star uh, affair, you know, two like great wrestlers going at it. And of course I should have tempered that because it was the second match on the card, <laughs> you know? Uh, and, you know, quickly I realized like at the start of the match that they were just going to do like, it was basically a, a closing stretch. They basically skipped all the first part of a match. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not, so I, I didn't love the match. I thought it was good, but it, you know, just, couldn't be what I wanted it to be. So it was slightly disappointing from that perspective for me. But I understand that it was the second match on the card. It wasn't going to get more time than a lot of the other stuff. It's just not what I wanted out of it. Um, 
Was there any talk, Taylor? Uh, Nanai says something to Rossi after the match. Was there any talk about that, or do we know like what what that's supposed to suggest to us? I don't know. Although I think there was someone talking about that it's possible that someone from Stardom is going to appear on the upcoming Seedling Corican show. I think that was the talk. Although I don't know. I don't know if I saw a translation or saw anyone talking about what she said to him after the match. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It it may be that just this stardom seedling sort of working relationship is going to continue. Um, but, you know, with all of these things, we have to see because these things can start and stop at a moment's notice based on things we don't see or, or don't hear about. So uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Well, what did you think of the match? So it was funny because the match ended and I my first thought was, well, that was disappointing. But the work was good. Like I was like, well, the work was really good. So should I go like three and three quarters or should I go like four stars? And then I said, wait a minute. I can't go like four stars on a match where my initial thought when the match ends <laughs> is, well, that was disappointing. Um it was just a thing where I think it was a victim of the time crunch where they, you know, were given 10 minutes. They went out, they had a good match. But to me, it's like the possibilities were so much greater than I think what they delivered that it was very hard for me to look at the match and go, okay, what did they give? Because it was so below what I think was possible when you know, the match was first announced and you think, okay, these two wrestlers, what can they do? And, you know, part of it is they were under this time crunch. I do wonder in sort of an alternate reality um, where this curfew isn't in place. Is it a case of they wanted to keep, you know, these matches short or does this match get another five minutes? Does it get another X number of minutes? To me, it's your biggest show. You know, I don't love super long matches, but when you're saying this is our biggest show ever or our biggest show in, you know, X number of years, eight years, um, however many years, you know, I'm not mad if every match is, you know, given a good amount of time and the show is a little bit longer than sort of a usual show. Um, but obviously not the case. Uh, so just for me, uh, too short and um, never got to the place that I hoped it would get. Yeah, basically the same. Uh, then we had the SWA title match, and Shuri uh, retained her title, defeating Konami with this like really sick um, submission, which was like part stretch muffler, part uh, neck to the back of the head. Yeah, I, I was sort of in the same boat as the previous match where this match got eight minutes. Uh, just over eight minutes. And it was another one where I was like, well, I was sort of looking forward to this, but in eight minutes, I mean, you can have a great eight minute match. And I thought the work was good, but it was just one of those things where it's like, well, it didn't certainly feel like much of an, it felt very much sort of like a warm up um, match. They didn't quite go as far in the direction as I hoped, which was sort of a more submission based, you know, grappling match, which they had aspects of, um, but not as much as I'd hoped, but just another match that I just thought was a victim of not getting enough time. For sure. I thought it was 
you know, I don't know if this is going to be an ongoing thing, but, you know, we talked about in the prologue match, they didn't do interference in the Oedo Tai match. Here, Konami, like, explicitly uh, stopped the Oedo Tai people from doing any sort of interference, uh, which, you know, also I'm sure played into the story of, like, her respect for um, her mentor in Shuri. But, you know, I thought that was interesting here. But, yeah, it was a good match that it, it just wasn't enough time for us. It just didn't particularly stand out to me. Uh, then we got, uh, I think, a match that a lot of us were uh, highly looking forward to. Uh, Mayu Iwatani defeated Yoshiko uh, with a moonsault. Did this one live up to your expectations? Um, it got it got close. Um, you know, I went into this sort of saying, well, everything, you know, my expectations, this is the biggest show, and I think there's a lot of matches on here that could – um, be very strong, you know, match of the content match of the year contenders. Um, this, di- it didn't quite get to that level, but I still really liked this match. Um, I went for and a quarter star thought it was very strong. Um, you know, love Mayu in these big situations, this sort of, uh, devil may care attitude with the dive, um, to the outside where she just, you know, went full speed. And I love that, you know, I'm a proponent of if you're going to do a dive to the outside, I want you going full speed, you know, like, like a Ray Phoenix in AEW where every time he dives, you know, he's going out there a million miles an hour and not doing this sort of, you know, you run towards a rope and then you slow down and you sort of dive through the ropes very slowly. And it's turns into like a push. Um, and then, of course, got back in the ring and Mayu's dropping herself on her um, neck sort of unnecessarily. But I really sort of enjoyed it as, you know, oh, you know, the craziness that Mayu will get into to really uh, push the match to the next level. So I thought it was very good. Um, and I think for the third spot on the the sort of just below the um, double main event, I think that they were calling it. Um, I thought it got, you know, 15 minutes. I thought it got a good amount of time and I enjoyed the match. Yeah. It felt like if you were going to do a series of matches, this would be a good first match between the two, you know, something they could build on. I didn't get, I mean, it's just kind of a, it's just the reality of the situation, um, that nothing really got all the time, certainly nothing up to this point point on the card got like all the time it really needed to like super duper shine i thought um i'm a little i was a little surprised when i watched it well no i guess i was a little surprised later because i got the sense that people really loved this match and uh i i didn't really love it i thought it was very good and like i said i it felt to me like a basic match between the two of them that they could build on if they were going to do a series um, so maybe I missed something, but it also could have just been that I had very, I was very excited for this. Like, this is like a match I've probably thought about before, um, before, you know, they were able to mend this relationship of like, man, it would be so cool to see Mayu and Yoshiko now against each other, you know? So I was just very excited about it and it didn't quite uh, live up to that. It may also have been that I didn't really have a, a keen interest in who won the match. You know, but you could pretty much sense that, like, oh, if Nanai beats Momo, then Mayu is beating Yoshiko, right? They're going to trade losses here. So, uh, but overall, 
it was nice. And I really enjoyed that Mayu got out of the ring before Yoshiko and kind of let her have a moment there. I thought that was very sweet. Yeah, it was clear at the end that they were um, happy to have done it, uh, which was nice to see. You know, nice to see Yoshiko back for this sort of celebration of 10 years. Um, So overall, I thought for where they sort of placed it on the card, I thought I thought it did well. Um, You know, and and as I said, I went four and a quarter. So certainly a match I enjoyed. It's kind of like that year. Like you remember when like Wrestle Kingdom, it used to be just like, 25 30 minute epics like one after another you know these like big matches and then they had that one year where they're like no we're getting this show done in three hours or whatever and so they just didn't have the epics on the card like this felt like that year of like no we we just got this period of time whereas even though i'm a uh, match length truther uh i really wanted like some epics between uh some of the people on this card who just were not given the time to do it yeah and i think that that comes down to you know, as I said, that curfew, um, which was not in place when they, you know, originally announced announced the show. Um, I do wonder, maybe it w- maybe without the curfew, it would have been very similar length, and a lot of these matches would have been the same time. But I have a feeling at least probably one of these matches uh, probably would have gotten a little bit more time, um, if not multiple matches. But you know, for sort of the time that they had, I think they did fairly well with. Um, sort of timing out the entire show. Yeah, I agree. The show, like, it ran smoothly. It felt good. It, like, wasn't a hard, uh, like, watch. You know, it wasn't hard to sit and watch the whole show, even though I did have to split it up. But that wasn't because of that. It was just uh, work-wise, I had to. But, um, yeah, I thought they they did a great job with the time that they had. It's just that I wanted some of these matches to have more time, which is not really, I can't fault the, the wrestlers for that, certainly. Uh, and then the red belt match. Uh, Tommy Hayashishita defeated Saikamitani with that uh, spinning jackknife powerbomb. Uh, it's very hard for me when it's not on Stardom World because it doesn't tell me the name of the move <laughs> at the end of the match. So I just have to make up kind of what I think it's like. Uh, but this match I really enjoyed. Yeah, I, I said in the preview that it was sort of a low uh, floor, high ceiling match. And I thought that they, they sort of came in um, in the middle, I went four stars. I thought it was really good. I thought they did a really good job with, I think, one sort of concern that people had um, going into the match was that Sayakamatani sometimes in her matches, you know, the attempts at what she's trying to do sometimes run ahead of where she is currently ability-wise. Um, and I thought that they did a really good job with um, making her look impressive, but not using things that she wasn't ready for. She wouldn't exactly, um, you know, that that they weren't certain that she would hit with 100% confidence. Um, you know, they had that sort of Canadian destroyer, uh, which I thought looked really good. Um, she did the Phoenix splash at one point, which Utami moved out of the way of. Uh, which was very good because her trajectory would have taken her knee directly into Utami's face. Um, but yeah, I thought that they did a good job sort of staying within their ability abilities and they, and it ended up being a very strong match. As I said, I went four stars. Um, 
So certainly delivered in a in a sort of big spot where I think a lot of people were questioning whether that they, whether they would be able to have this sort of match, um, you know, sandwiched between all these other very strong matches. Yeah, I think one of the most important things you have to do in a match like this, where the outcome is not really in doubt, is create a match where the person who no one expects to win has at least one believable near fall. And I thought they did that with Saya. There was like one moment where I was like, I didn't really think she was going to win still, but I was like, oh, okay, you got me a little bit. So that's like the most I can ask for out of a match like this. I thought Utami showed uh, more outward personality, more like in-ring charisma than she has uh, the rest of this title run. So I was uh, happy about that. It was about the best version I could have expected of a match between the two of these people at this moment in time. It made me more hopeful about Utami's uh, run as, as champion. And honestly, it also made me more hopeful about uh, Saya Kamitani, who I have soured on a little just because of what you said, that she's always seeming to do, try to do more than she can. Uh, but I thought she did a good job here. And overall, uh, I thought it was a, a very good match. Uh, I don't know how excited I was for the uh, post-match B Priestley challenge to Utami, uh, but that is what happened. That is what they're setting up next. Yeah, and I thought in this match, that near fall that they had, I thought was the best near fall on the entire show. Uh, with Saya almost pinning Utami and the announcer's uh, commentary was going crazy. I thought that that was really great. Um, a highlight of the match, certainly. And I'm with you. Um, not all that excited uh, for a B Priestley challenge. I've sort of, um, well, I haven't sort of soured because I didn't really like it to begin with, but I guess I've even more soured on this sort of uh, character of B's where she comes out and she challenges and then she just says, oh, here's the, you know, I say you suck because that's the only Japanese phrase I know and I'm just going to say it to everyone. And I'm like, this is not all that interesting to me. Uh, I don't think that she really has any chance to win and I certainly hope that she doesn't win. Um, but I think it is, it does serve the purpose of, you know, now Julia is uh, shaved bald she appeared at this at the Corkin show today, uh, sort of with this updated new look and talking about how she wants to prove herself starting from the bottom of the card. She took on Gokigan death. Um, and I think that they don't want to rush into the sort of inevitable uh, Julia versus Utami match. You know, I don't think Julia... Um, I guess it could happen. Julia could win the Cinderella tournament, but I don't think that that happens. So I think there's probably going to be at least one or two more defenses of Utami before that program starts to get in motion. You know, B is the first one. Maybe there's a second one or a third. Um, so I think for now it's sort of figuring out who can challenge for this belt that will make a good match, um, but sort of isn't at that level where you think, you know, they might win or they should win uh, something like that until they get to that big, you know, sort of the big upcoming Julia Utami match, which is going to be the big, I think the big um, sort of post of 2021 for stardom. Yeah. And I think I, I gave a little bit of short shrift to Julia when we talked about the main event. Um, I just think here's my hot take. 
Uh, when you put everything together, Julia is the best wrestler going. That's my opinion. That's my take. Her character is all there. Uh, her work is now all there. And I just knew as they were shaving her head that she was going to come out of this as a bigger star somehow. I just think she has every single thing going for her in a way that just makes her uh, the, the biggest and the best in the world of Joshi right now. Yeah, I agree. I mean, she clearly has all the momentum behind her. You know, she's going to do this program of starting from the, you know, bottom and working her way back up. But clearly, you know, all the talk, you know, lots of talk about Julia. She clearly is being positioned. You know, Mayu is someone who is established. You can sort of, you know, ease off her for a time and you're not going to sort of lose the luster um, for her, you know, take away from her. So I think now all the focus will be, you know, on Julia and leading and hopefully, you know, you build up Utami, you build up this reign as much as you can. That's the other important thing. So when you get to this big match, that it is the two biggest stars that you can have going head to head um, in this title match. Yeah, I agree. And then when we, when we ultimately get to Tommy and Julia, uh, it's going to be huge, but of course, like, when if they do the match, Julia has to win. <laughs> you know? So you have to wait until you're you're comfortable with with that happening. Uh, but I would assume they ultimately want Julia to have the red belt. It's still kind of considered the the big belt in the in the promotion. Yeah, you would think, and you would hope by the time, as I said, by the time she gets there, that you've established Utami somewhat with the title, so that when you know if slash when she loses, you know she doesn't go sort of back down the card, but can stay as a top sort of top level player in the sort of idea, not exactly, but sort of like Mayu where she doesn't need the title to, you know, stay in that sort of top range of the company. Yes. I think they are established. Hopefully with this title reign, they'll establish her there. Um, and I, as I said, I'm more hopeful today than I was before I saw the show about uh, the possibility of that happening. So, uh, yeah, overall, I think, you know, we've been pretty clear about just like it didn't quite live up because some stuff just couldn't get enough time. But that's probably not anyone's fault. So hard to be uh, hard to complain about it. And plus, you come out of this with Utami in a better position, Sayakami Tani in a better position, Tom Nakano in a better position and Julia in a better position. So it's hard to call that anything but a big success. Yeah. And, you know, and. I talked about, you know, the top three matches, I went four and a quarter, four and four and a half. So, you know, my expectations were for something huge, but, and they weren't quite met in that, from that perspective, but still a very strong card, as we talked about, didn't overstay its welcome, feel like it went very fast, had some fun stuff um, in the beginning with the high speed match and the rumble. So overall, a very strong effort, I thought, from stardom. All right, well, let's talk about some of the news that's come up recently. Uh, let's start with talking about the Cyber Fight Festival, Taylor. Yeah, so this was announced uh, a little, I believe, last week. Um, the Cyber Fight Festival, it's going to be a show on June 6th involving all the Cyber Fight brands, NOAA, uh, DDT, Gambare, and Tokyo Joshi Pro. Uh, they promise some interpromotional matches. We'll see what that means for Tokyo Joshi. Obviously, it's a little bit different than interpromotional 
um, matches for the other three companies, which are all mostly men's uh, companies. There will be a Princess of Princess title match on the show, uh, which is exciting. So just exciting uh, to see sort of this big show. And not only that, but see Tokyo Joshi get a prominent uh, spot on this show as well. So hopefully that helps them. Hopefully it just increases their momentum as they're having a, a great year. And hopefully that helps gets, get more eyes on the promotion, get more people watching and interested in it because they are doing a great job this year and they should have as many people watching as possible. Yeah, we're going to talk about the uh, the tag title tournament uh, from Tokyo Joshi Pro here in a little bit. Uh, next up, we're also going to talk about Assemble, but the news is that Assemble is over? Yeah, it's, it seems... It's disassembling? <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, you... <laughs> You laughed enough for both of us on that one. Uh, uh, yes, it appears Akira Hokuto at the uh, Assemble show that just happened, the fourth Assemble show, announced that this uh, it will probably be the last one. Uh, now that the vaccine is coming out, you know, I think a lot of the point was to get eyes on these promotions as the promotions were struggling with no crowd shows and the shutdowns and things like that. Um, and now the vaccine is coming, but uh, Kira Hokuto talked about, you know, a lot of these companies are doing crossover things as it is, you know, Marvelous and Stardom and Seedling and Stardom. And, you know, of course, to support all of these companies, I'm a bit uh, sad to see it end. You know, it never quite got to, you know, when it was first announced, there was all this excitement and everyone was covering it. And it was sort of a, a rare event that got outside of the Joshi uh, bubble into the sort of mainstream, um, maybe not mainstream Western uh, world, but certainly the mainstream Puro, Puro uh, world. So, you know, never quite got to the point where you know, there were no crossover matches or things or dream matches like that. But I enjoyed, and as we'll talk about in a second, I've enjoyed all of the Assemble shows. I thought that they were really fun. I thought that they were a good way for people to sort of see all of these promotions at once without having to search out, you know, seven or eight different shows. Uh, so sad to see it go, but it makes sense if the if the reason was to sort of help during this COVID period now that the vaccine is coming out. Uh, it seems like less of a reason for it to exist. And uh, the last bit of news, there was an announcement that the Hanakimura Memorial Show will happen on May 23rd. Uh, they've announced a, a list of talent that will appear on the show. And uh, the big surprise being Kagetsu will come out of retirement for one night only. She wrote uh, a blog post uh, about basically... Um, apologizing in a way of just like, you know, I know I promised everyone that it was my last wrestling match. So, you know, it's like, she feels a little bad, but obviously uh, I don't think anyone could possibly be upset with her. She uh, even asked, apparently even went to Mako Satomura to discuss with her, you know, like, was she okay with Kagetsu wrestling again, considering that she had had her last match with, uh, with Satomura. Um, but of course I think everyone understands and, uh, Kagetsu, it's very fun seeing Kagetsu in like her her just like normal look now, you know, now that she's out of pro wrestling. Uh, there's a very cute picture uh, on the 
uh, blog that I guess was from the um, press conference or whatever about the memorial show. So uh, yeah, Kagetsu will be back. Uh, and I guess the the bad news or sad news related to this is that uh, we know, of course, that Kyoko Kimura had requested that Stardom make uh, its wrestlers available for the memorial show. And it was announced uh, today, I believe, uh, Sunday as we're recording, uh, maybe Saturday overnight, that Stardom would be running a show on the same day as the memorial show and presumably, uh, therefore, not sending any of its wrestlers for the memorial show. Yeah, a bit of a bummer, uh, but glad to see. I guess if you look on the positive side, glad to see Kagetsu, uh, you know, coming out for the show, which obviously, as you talked about, is a little bit different than her just sort of returning, uh, you know, saying, oh, well, I'm just going to return to wrestling. You know, obviously a a very meaningful show. Um, Hopefully it will be um, good for everyone, you know, the talent involved, um, but a bummer that, you know, the stardom talent, which I'm sure a lot of that talent would, uh, you know, if it was up to them, would probably want to be uh, be at least at the show, if not on the show. Uh, so a bummer that that looks like it won't be possible. Okay, well, since we're talking about stardom, uh, they had a Corquin Hall show, uh, you know, this morning on March the 7th. Um, and I guess the, the big news out of this was uh, the artist titles. The Cosmic Angels uh, are the artist champions. They defeated uh, Mayu Watani, Starlight Kid, and Saya Ida. And then there was an artist number one contenders match. And the winners were the Queen's Quest team of Momo Watanabe, Saya Kamitani, and Azumi. And there was, I saw some, some Twitter back and forth this morning between uh, Tom and Momo building up this match. Yeah, those two results. And then, of course, the sort of re-debut of Julia with this new sort of, uh, I guess, military-esque look and the sort of shaved, it's not really a shaved head, it's more of a buzzed um, head, but I think a a good look. Uh, There was some talk about that, you know, the, the shaving was not all around the head. It wasn't clear if they were going for like sort of a mohawky uh, look, but um, I think overall a, a good um, sort of re, not re-debut, but re-emergence of Julia after this big match to sort of take her in a new uh, exciting direction. Yeah, I think it's good. I mean, I already said, I think she's going to come out of this an even bigger star. Uh, she's embraced it. And it's like doing something cool with it. Do you remember, Taylor, maybe you uh, smartly got out of watching WWE before I did. But you remember when John Cena got squashed by Brock Lesnar? Uh, I do remember that, yes. And what I really wanted was him to like, you know, go to NXT or something, you know, and like uh, build back up to be able to wrestle Lesnar again. But they just like, I think he was just in the main event on Raw the next night or whatever. Uh, so it's like, oh, yeah, this is a much cooler way of of doing this kind of similar story. I know she didn't get squashed by Tom, but you know what I mean? Yeah, I always like this idea of, oh, I lost a match. Now I have to sort of build back up again. It gives the it gives Julia a story to hang on to while she's not challenging for a title. Um, but it also allows you, as I said, to you're not all of a sudden having to say, well, Julia is a top person in this company. She has to be in the title matches. You know, she comes out and says, I want to build up. It gives you that runway to sort of rebuild her while you're also 
you know, boosting up other people um, on your roster. So it really serves a dual purpose of giving her something to do while also sort of getting her out of the way to help some other people. So, I mean, I think it's a perfect story. It's certainly what I would have done um, coming off the loss. So yeah, I have, I have no complaints and I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, how it progresses. Is she just going to sort of move up the card with no problems? Is she going to have speed bumps? You know, will she lose to people and sort of stay in some area, you know, some part of the card for a little while, you know, maybe she loses to, you know, someone in Queens quest and she has a little feud there on her way up. Um, but will be interesting to see as as we mentioned as we build sort of towards the inevitable rebuilding of Julia into um, a star back at the top of the cards. Okay, well let's we uh, talk about a symbol ending, but what may have been uh, the last show occurred recently. Uh, so Taylor, you want to give us the the rundown on the show? Yeah, I thought it was a really strong show. I think it might have been the. Um, I don't know. I would have to go back and look, but maybe the strongest assemble show uh, started out with the debut of the new Marvel. You know, she's got um, debuting after the strong sort of rookie class of Meho Shizuki and Maria and Makoto Shindo um, was happy to see her sort of in that rookie uh, marvelous singlet. She's in a yellow uh, singlet, which sort of um, distinguishes her from the other rookies that had been coming through. Thought she had a strong match, wasn't blown away, um, but will be interesting to keep an eye on her and see how she progresses. Um, and as always, they do this blind draw at the beginning of the show to determine the rest of the matches, what order they were in. I actually thought that uh, from match four to match seven, uh, which is the fourth match to the semi-main event, uh, and then the eighth match is the main event. I thought match four to seven were really, really strong, uh, worth going out of your way to check out. It was the um, T-Hearts six-person tag, which has really, to me, been one of the highlights of almost all of these Assemble shows. I thought they've been really strong. Um, the Seedling match, the Marvelous match, and the stardom match was the seventh match. And I thought that they were all really good. I actually went four stars on the T-Hearts, the Marvelous, and the stardom match. I thought that they were all very strong, uh, a little bit different. You know, the Marvelous and the stardom matches were a little bit uh, sort of faster paced, you know, speed, lots of uh, moves in rapid succession. Whereas the seedling and the T-Hearts matches were a little bit more hard hitting, um, you know, stand and deliver in the middle of the ring type matches. So it still is up on uh, Zyko um, for 2000 yen for the next few days, I think. Uh, so definitely worth checking out. And some of the other matches, you know, the uh, Sendai Girls match, the Pure J match, those are fun as well. So overall, I thought it was a very, uh, very strong show. And if, this is the last show uh, for Assemble, a very strong way for them to go out. Speaking of strong matches, at least, uh, see, this, by the way, we're, we're in the Spark Notes section of the show. I guess I didn't say that. I just started talking about the Stardom show. But 
Uh, Seedling, speaking of uh, strong matches, on the uh, February 26th show from Shinjuku Face, um, you know, Taylor, I mean, ran immediately. Aaron, you got to watch this main event of the Seedling show. I did ultimately uh, get a chance to watch it. We had uh, Arisa Nakajima, Nanai Takahashi, and Riko Kawahata versus Asuka, Makoto, and Tsukushi. And I, I'll just give the floor to you, Taylor. Uh, go ahead and tell us how much you love this match. I thought that this was a great match. I mean, obviously, uh, a very talented uh, group of wrestlers. I thought it was a very interesting uh, match stylistically. It was a little bit slightly different than the usual um, seedling main events and things like that. I did see a tweet. I don't remember who tweeted it out, um, but that it was sort of almost an Oz Academy type match. Um, so I'm interested, Aaron, to hear your thoughts because I know that we do disagree on uh, the Oz Academy. And I just thought it was great, you know, very chaotic, uh, fast paced, lots of, you know, bodies going in and out of the ring. Uh, Yumiko Hoda was at ringside and got involved in the match. I mean, Asuka near the end of the match hits her with a chair uh, that again, in a, in a pattern that keeps repeating itself, uh, like happened on the ice ribbon cork. And we reviewed last uh, episode, the chair did not break and it made the chair shot look just very brutal. Um, but I love this match. I think it's worth checking out. I went four and a half stars. Um, just thought it was really great. A great mix of talent. You know, some people, Kawahata was sort of in this um, audition phase, seeing if she's going to become a more regular um, member of the roster. Sakushi in the main event, which we haven't seen a ton in seedling. So overall, I just thought it was great. Another great main event uh, for seedling. Man, I I read your note here before I watched the match, and it said Oz Academy like, and I was like, oh no, I'm gonna hate this. This is gonna be awful. And so I went into it a little uh, skeptical, I would suppose, of the match. But no, I also thought it was great. I don't. I mean, I see what you're saying in that like people were just kind of running in and out of the ring. Uh, but it was, but it was at least mostly happening in the ring. And it was like the participants in the match who were involved, you know, it wasn't like, um, a lot of interference in that kind of way. So I don't know. It was more, I mean, to me, a six, a six person tag match. It's like, there's two really good ways to do it. One is like crazy spots, you know, where you just do an absolute spot fest. And it's like very fast. You know, the other is to just like have everybody beat the shit out of each other the whole time and like never have a break in that really. And I thought that's what they did here. And that's something that I really like in these kind of matches. So this worked for me. And I thought, um, I don't know if she was the standout because there's a lot of great wrestlers in this match, but Sakushi really stood out to me in this match. I was like, okay, this is like you getting to uh, spread your wings a little more. I thought she had really cool sequences with basically everybody on the other team. So I really liked Sakushi's performance in this. Yeah, I didn't think it was, you know, exactly like an Oz Academy match, but certainly more than sort of you're used to in these seedling main events, which are sort of very straightforward. You know, if you're doing a tag, it's more straightforward where near the end, as you were talking about, lots of people coming in the ring, they're coming in with chairs, they're doing all these different things. It was just sort of the chaos the sort of feeling of chaos you sometimes get with those Oz Academy matches where you're like, 
whoa, what is going on? It is broken down. People are everywhere. Bodies are flying. You know, you're like, whoa. So, you know, I'm glad you liked it because I was a little bit worried that it would be like, you know, that sort of chaotic um, stuff that you don't really like about Oz Academy, but good to see that you liked it. And maybe people who fall more on your side of that opinion will uh, want to check this out, uh, which is, which is great. But yeah, Sakushi is, you know, always great. Would love to see her in more of these main events. Would love to see her more in seedling. Cause I think she's super talented. I mean, Kawahata as well. Um, I thought was really, was really great. I hope that she's in um, seedling more. She also was very impressive in that uh, assemble uh, T hearts match as well, which she, and Asuka and Makoto were all in, um, which which sort of had the similar had a similar vibe. Not um, not as much as this match did, but it sort of broke down. There were chairs involved and things, but that more of a mid card match. So it didn't go to the extremes that this match did. Uh, but yeah, I'm a I'm a big big uh, fan of this match. Well, there's also an Oz Academy match today. Yeah, or so there was, show, rather. there was a show today. I, I didn't get a chance to see it because it aired just a few hours ago, um, which had the number one contender decision match, which is that uh, Sona Kokado, Akino, Kaho Kobayashi, and Maya Yukihi, um, they were going to do a lottery, have a tag match, and then the winning um, tag team will face off in a singles, a 10-minute singles match, and the winner of that singles match uh, will face uh, Mayumi Ozaki for the Oz title at their next Korokin show. Um, I am uh, looking forward to checking that out. That's on the pay-per-view uh, service. So if you want to check that out, go to Oz Academy's uh, Twitter. It's on mahocast.com, I believe, is the uh, provider they're using. But looking forward to seeing that um, as well, because I think that would be a really fun match as they – head towards a big Corican show in their uh, 25th anniversary year. Hard to believe 20, it's been as Academy has been around for 25 years. And I teased that we would talk about uh, Tokyo Joshi pro. So I think the time has arrived. Yeah. So they held their tag tournament finals on March 6th. Uh, it came down to the Neo Bishiki goon team of Saki Sama and Mesa and Michelle against, uh, Maki Ito and Mia Yamashita with the Neo Bishiki Goon team emerging victorious. Aaron, what did you think of the show and of this match? Well, my big takeaway from the show was that I was very excited uh, that uh, the Neo Bishiki Goon team won. I thought it was a, a good match. Uh, I just love watching Mesa Michelle in Tokyo Joshi Pro. And all her little, uh, all her little shenanigans. Like I, it's always like done in such a like funny and clever way. And uh, watching, you know, Maki and Miyu try to overcome her shenanigans uh, is always fun to me. Uh, but yeah, overall, I thought the whole show was good. I had a lot of fun with uh, all the matches in this tournament. And I just think, I mean, I think. We have uh, been a little outspoken, and maybe everybody doesn't agree with us about maybe we don't always love the Bakuretsu sisters. Uh, but I think Sakisama and Mesa Michelle would be uh, great tag champions. And uh, that to me would really improve the top of the cards. 
and uh, you know, add something like a little, a little different uh, in between, you know, like whatever the, the third match from the top is. And then, you know, your final, your big princess of princess title match at the top of the card. Just think it would elongate the shows a little and uh, add some intrigue. Yeah, not a totally surprising uh, result if you would have looked at the tournament when it first started and probably make your predictions. I think Neo Bashikigun would have been probably, um, you know, in that group of favorites to start the start the tournament. And, you know, it seems like whenever Saki-sama gets that new partner, uh, as with uh, when she was teaming with Masao, uh, they seem to move up the card pretty quick and get the uh, opportunities. You know, last time they won the titles uh, from the Magical Sugar Rabbits. So we'll see if they can repeat that here. They're going to get the title match uh, with the Bakaretsu sisters on the next Tokyo Joshi Korokin, which is on April 17th. Uh, so looking forward to that. I thought it was a good show. You know, I really like these um, sort of smaller Tokyo Joshi shows. They don't overstay their welcome. You know, you can get through this entire show in about an hour and a half. Uh, so very quick. You know, they just go out there. They have a lot of fun. Uh, they had a little bit extra juice with the semifinals and the finals on the show. So overall, a strong, a strong show and a fun show and one worth checking out if you have some time. And they also, I mean, a lot of shows that happened today as we're recording uh, March 7th. So I, I haven't seen this, but the... Uh, 11 versus 11 match on the open rack pay-per-view service. Yeah. So they had the pay-per-view today, the 11 versus 11 match, which if you watched a lot of the, when the sort of COVID shutdowns were first happening, uh, Tokyo Joshi did a number of uh, sort of small, no crowd shows. And they did one of these uh, big, you know, sort of 11 versus 11 matches. So very similar where it's singles matches with uh, two count rules uh, I like Aaron haven't seen it cause it aired, um, just a few hours ago, but looking forward to checking that out as well. Uh, so yeah, so that's a lot of exciting stuff happening in the world of, uh, Tokyo Joshi. All right. What else we got? Sendai girls, uh, February 23rd, Meiho Shizuki retained the junior title over Eureka Oka. Yeah. So that is, um, I'm glad to see that. You know, I really like Meho Shizuki. Another big thing happening on that show was, I believe it was that show, um, was Hibiki came out and demanded a match with Dash Chizako. So this storyline is uh, continuing. Uh, we've talked about it a lot on the show. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't seen a lot of recent Marvelous. I did sign up for their uh, Nico. Uh, service, but they haven't uploaded a lot of their most recent shows on there. So I'm hoping that some of those shows eventually make uh, their way over to that service because I'd like to be able to check out uh, a lot of these shows. But yes, Meho Shizuki um, retaining the junior title over Eureka Oka, uh, which is good to see because I think Meho Shizuki can keep that title and have a lot of good matches uh, for Sendai Girls. Right over in Ice Ribbon, uh, they also had a show on February 23rd with Sakushi retaining the IWGQ title over Thecla. Yeah, so she retains the title, and it. Uh, I'm not sure if she may now just be waiting for the winner of the Peace League uh, tournament over at Peace Party uh, to emerge victorious. That 
the winner of that tournament may end up being her next title challenger uh, for the IWGQ title unless they have a title match in between the end of that tournament now and the end of that tournament. And what else do we got here? Diana, anything from... So Diana had a dojo show on the 28th. Not a lot to talk about. Um, there was a Haruka Umasaki versus Rina Shingaki uh, singles match to open the show, which I was looking forward to. Um, you know, wasn't didn't didn't blow me away. Obviously, on this dojo show, they're not you know going for you know all timer matches. But these, you know, I say it every time. I think we talk about Diana. These shows are always. Um, easy watches. They're on YouTube. They last about an hour, uh, maybe sometimes even less. So always worth, if you want to check out Diana, if you're, if you've been interested, um, there's really no barrier for entry. Don't have to spend a lot of time. Um, so, uh, go check those out on YouTube. Marvelous had a show on 226. Hibiki demanded a match with Dash Chisako. Yeah, so she demanded the match with Dash, so they determined that Dash was added to this marvelous show on 226 um, to Hibiki's current match, which was against Meho Shizuki. Um, they turned it into a, a three-way match, Hibiki versus Dash versus Meho Shizuki, and the match ended on a DQ after Hibiki lifted May up and then just, choke, then just choked her out. It really was, I saw the footage, um, the marvelous um, account posted uh, the the end of the match, and it really is pretty crazy. As she just sort of sits on May and chokes her, uh, Tommy the ref calls for the DQ and the match ends. So, you know, this storyline it's uh, certainly kept my interest. As you know, I've talked about it the last few episodes as we've covered marvelous and things like that. It will be interesting to see if it leads into. Hibiki ending up on the Sendai Girls side of this sort of Gaiaism, uh, Marvelous versus Sendai Girls feud. Uh, but it's been interesting. But I think I'm glad now that, you know, when it first started, it was sort of like, what is this? It sort of started. And then they had the apology with uh, Chigusa Nagayo where they went on camera and they're like, we're so sorry. And then the thought was, well, what is this? So now it seems like we're sort of into the next phase of this and interested to see where this sort of storyline leads, you know, Marvelous and Sendai Girls uh, over the last year certainly um, have not had many sort of storyline aspects to their promotion. So excited to see sort of this overarching storyline uh, and follow that along to however it ends. Uh, over in Pro Wrestling Wave on February 28th, uh, we had a Regina DeWave uh, title match with Sakura Hirota retaining, defeating Kaoru. Yeah, so uh, retaining the title, Regina DeWave, you know, Kaoru is retiring in August, so sort of getting her final uh, send-offs, probably her final title match here. Uh, it will be interesting to see who uh, comes in wave to defeat Hirota. Uh, I don't know who that would be, but, you know, anything, I guess anything is possible in the world of Wave. And lastly, uh, Choco Pro had, what, two two big shows. 
They had two shows, and they also had a show last night. Okay. Um, Definitely haven't seen that one yet. Yeah, the two shows uh, last weekend, uh, two big tag matches, an Asia Dream tag title uh, defense for the best bros, um, and then on 92, uh, Aja Kong making her first appearance in Chuckle Pro. Two two matches I think are worth checking out. Uh, I wasn't, you know... I wasn't blown away by either one, but I actually went four stars on both. I think that they were both really fun. I think seeing Aja Kong uh, in Choco Pro in Ichigawa Chocolate Square was a lot of fun. So both, if you have some time, both matches worth checking out as we sort of head into a big period, as we'll talk about uh, when we cover the upcoming shows, heading into a big, uh, important period here for Choco Pro. All right. Well, those are all the shows that have been happening recently. You want to tell us about some of the shows coming up over the next couple of weeks? Sir, sure. so Stardom has four sort of smaller shows. They haven't announced anything yet for those, but I think one is at uh, Sendai Pit. One is at uh, Shinjuku Face, maybe. So not big shows. So probably... Um, won't be too much on those shows. Seedling has their cork in coming up, as I talked about earlier, on March 17th. Uh, they are doing a tag tournament. Um, Nanai and Arisa Nakajima will be in the tournament, um, and then they will announce all the rest of the teams, and the winning team gets to have their wish granted. So we will have to see what the winning team asks for. Uh, Sendai Girls, the big news this week was Mako Satomura is returning. Um, not sure if it's just for these next upcoming shows or if she will be staying longer, but it was announced that she had returned to Japan. She has done her two weeks of quarantine, and so she will be ready for March 11th and March 12th. Uh, March 11th, she has a singles match with Dash Chizako, and then on the 12th, she is tagging with Keoru in the main event. So that will be interesting to see. I think a sooner return uh, for Mako than I than I would have thought. Uh, she did have the match with Kaylee Ray, the title uh, NXT UK women's title match this week. Of course, that was taped. So it didn't, I don't believe it happened this week. Uh, but Aaron, are you surprised to see Mako return so soon? after her departure to uh, NXT UK. I kind of just assumed she wouldn't return. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe like occasionally. But yeah, uh, surprising to be like, oh, she's just back doing matches in Sendai Girls again. Yeah, so we will have to see. I don't know, maybe she stays for some extended period of time or maybe she just does these two shows and she heads right back um, to England and, you know, returns to NXT UK. I don't know, you know, now that she, uh, I don't follow NXT UK really at all, but, you know, she's had the title match. She lost the title match uh, to Kaylee Ray. So I'm not sure what her next steps uh, are there, or if she maybe goes, you know, to the States to do NXT proper stuff. I don't know, Uh, but something to sort of, Keep your eye on Sendai Girls still in this sort of strange world of there's not too much going on. They have the stuff with Marvelous, which is going to lead uh, to the Gaia show in April, which is um, coming up actually very soon. 
Um, you know, there continues to be these rumors about NXT Japan. Maybe Sendai Girls is just sort of waiting around to be part of that. Uh, so just something to sort of keep your eye on there. Uh, Ice Ribbon has a few shows coming up. They have a Peas party where the Peas League matches will continue. Uh, three matches, Yappy versus Yuki Mashiro, uh, Benny Oakawa versus Honori Hana, and Satsuki Totoro versus Madeline. And then on the March 20th show, uh, there will be a tag title match with Maya Yukihi and Maika Ozaki defending their titles. Satsuki Totoro and Itsuki Aoki are the challengers. Um, not sure that there will be a title uh, change there, but Itsuki Aoki already uh, one half of the Wave Tag Team Champions, so certainly possible. Uh, Diana has another dojo show coming up on the 13th of March. Uh, Haruki Umasaki was originally scheduled to face Keiru Ito, uh, but she injured her hand, so it is now a Umasaki versus X match. So it will be interesting to see who that X is. And Asuka returns to Diana in a tag match in the main event. So glad to see her back. I really enjoyed Asuka's uh, work last year in Diana. Uh, so hopefully she will be back and will be appearing on more shows for them. And then finally, Choco Pro has a lot of shows coming up um, in the next few weeks. Their big announcement, though, was they are about to reach show 100, uh, which is hard to believe, um, seeing as the promotion started only a year or so ago. Uh, but show 100 will be a two-day event on March 27th and March 28th. So I'm certain they'll probably be bringing in some people. Uh, so something to look forward to in the world of Chuckle Pro. Okay, well, I guess that's uh, everything that we have to talk about. Unless there's something else you want to mention, Taylor. There is something else I want to mention. Oh, wow. Wow, unbelievable. Well, I just wanted to say, you know, at the beginning, I said it's our one-year anniversary, and I just wanted to say uh, thank you to Aaron uh, for doing this with me now for one year, and thank you to everyone uh, who has listened to the show, whether you started back uh, a year ago or your recent – uh, new listener, we're glad to have you along. Um, I love doing the show uh, with you, Aaron, and I hope that we have many more years of Jumping Bomb Audio. Well, I've also really enjoyed this year. I have to say it hasn't felt like a year. I was surprised when, I mean, it makes sense, of course, but when you started mentioning that we were almost up on a year, I was like, wow, I don't feel like we've done that many of these shows, uh, but it's been a blast. Uh, it's been cool getting to, uh, just if I'm being uh, frank and honest here. It's been cool just to hang out chatting with you more, Taylor, than we did certainly before we did this show together. And uh, at least some of the people who listen have been nice to us. So that's been nice. <laughs> that's been enjoyable. <laughs> um, but also, frankly, I've just watched more stuff that I probably wouldn't have watched before for the show. So uh, that's been uh, nice. Uh, but yeah, overall, I've had a great time. And I agree. I hope we we do this for a very long time. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, well, you should also listen to this for a very long time. Uh, we would appreciate it. Uh, make sure that you are following us on Twitter at JBombAudio. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Taylor's at Tay Mambo. 
Uh, subscribe to the show. Give us a five-star rating and review if you use the Apple Podcast app. Uh, donate to the show if you'd like over at redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping dash bomb dash audio. And don't forget to check us out on the Eastern Lariat podcast uh, where we did the Joshi March Madness tournament bracket. And if you go on the Eastern Lariat Twitter account, you can vote in those matchups. Uh, that's actually how it's decided. We made our own picks, but you'll decide by uh, voting on their Twitter account. So go do that. Uh, and I think that's it. So um, I guess that's all. We're done. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs>